Every human being ought to feel loved, but I've been thinking a lot these days that it might be at least as important for every human being to feel powerful.
Thank you for joining us. I'm going to read a scripture out of Psalm 139, verses 8 through 10. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are holding us fast. 
that you're leading us no matter where we are, no matter uh, what place we've gone into. And we ask, I ask now that you would settle over every single one as they're watching. And you would put that deep promise in that no matter what's going on, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, you are with us. We thank you for that. And I just bless each one to receive the sweetness of your presence now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us again for our uh, online Blue Water service, our virtual service. It's great to have you with us. We're going to continue our worship today with our tithes and offerings. If you want to give, you can give online on our website. You can still text to give, or you can send uh, a letter to our church office. And I just want to remind that this is just for those who consider Blue Water their home church, their home community. And if you're visiting or checking us out today, please feel no obligation to give. It's been really fun these past Sundays, gathering for Sunday Fun Days. Thanks for all of you that have been coming out to join us at the different places. It's been so fun getting to see old friends, making new friends, getting to see different parts of the island that uh, we usually wouldn't go to visit. But I think my most favorite part has been seeing the kids get to have fun together and just play. And we're gonna continue every Sunday uh, to keep gathering in different places. This Sunday we're going to be at Kaka'aka Waterfront Park. We're going to be there later in the day at 4.30, hopefully to be able to enjoy some of that awesome sunset. And if you'd like more information about where we're going to be or about Sunday Funday, you can email me at rollo at bluewatermission.org. So we're going to continue on with our awesome sermon series on what does faith get you. And Jordan's going to teach us today. I'm really excited. Every human being ought to feel loved, but I've been thinking a lot these days that it might be at least as important for every human being to feel powerful. Um, when I was a, a little kid, I guess I was about 10 years old, um, I had this lesson on feeling powerful that has always stuck with me. Uh, the situation was that I was living alone with my grandmother in East Sacramento, uh, California. Uh, my dad, uh, had uh, had remarried by then. Uh, had uh, uh, married my, my stepmother. I had a couple step siblings, um, but because um, the family wasn't doing so well financially, uh, I, I was told um, uh, one 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 of the kids had to uh, go live elsewhere. You know, and that was me. So I went and lived with my grandmother, and and we we scraped by for a while. And then once every other weekend, pretty much, my dad would come visit me. So I was feeling a bit displaced. You know, I might have been feeling a little bit impoverished, although that is often lost on kids. And I certainly missed my dad. And I was really excited on the odd weekends uh, when, when he would show up. And this particular weekend, um, I was super excited because I had had it in mind to build a tree house. My grandmother and I lived in this little a uh, two-bedroom uh, house in a, a cheap neighborhood in East Sacramento, and there was this tree in the backyard, and I had somehow gathered enough scrap lumber together that I had built a little platform in this tree. I love to build things. Got that from my dad, and uh, he was a, a great builder, a good carpenter, and I was excited for him to come so that we could finish it. So he showed up, and and on the Saturday, we set to work finishing it. We kind of roughed out the top. Um, but, you know, it was scrap lumber that I had just sort of gathered. I, I forget where I gathered it from. And I didn't quite have the right pieces to build a ladder up to, up to the treehouse. Uh, and so uh, Dad and I, you know, tried to finagle different ways of doing, this, doing it. And then he announced to me, well, I'm sorry. Um, you just don't have the proper lumber for it. You can't do it. And at that point, I got really upset, you know, because there was just a lot of emotion in this for me. You know, I wanted to build a treehouse with my dad. Uh, and I couldn't get it done, and I didn't have any money to finish it. And in the Sang family, you didn't build anything unless it was built out of scrap. That was the rule, you know. 
was like, I don't know where I'm going to get more scrap. We couldn't just like run to the store and buy lumber. That would have been, you know, that was too much. And so he got frustrated with me being frustrated. And he went inside. And I remember sitting in the backyard and pouting for a minute, as 10-year-old uh, boys are wont to do. And then I started staring at that lumber. And I had this moment, you know, and this was a moment I had as a 10-year-old. And I still remember it, just to give you the idea of the significance of this moment, right? And in that moment, I felt, I am going to figure this out. I'm going to do it. I gathered my scrap pieces of lumber together, and never mind the design, but basically I took what I had, which were these thin pieces of wood, and instead of building a ladder the normal way, which is based on compression, for you engineers out there, I figured out how to build a ladder based on tensile strength that sort of suspended and hung, even though it was wood. And so I, I pounded away with my missized nails, and I figured it out. And an hour later, my dad came out, and lo and behold, I had a working ladder to my treehouse. And I was like, I did it. Yeah. There. Which could have been a bad moment for me and dad. And he walked up to it, he shook it, he climbed up and down, and then he looked at me. And uh, it's one of two and a half times in my whole life my dad said that he was proud of me. Sangs don't talk very much. Um, I, I think he was proud of me, but he was the kind of guy that just didn't say stuff like that. He looked at me and said, I told you it couldn't be done, and you did it. I'm proud of you. And he went back in the house. Very shapeful moment, right? Your little, little kid. Very shapeful moment. Never forgot it. Never forgot it. And I think what it taught me um, was how to rally into power. You know, when, when you're frustrated, when you're bereft, when you're in a tough season, when you're told that it can't be done by people who know much better, you know, when you don't have any resources, sometimes there's a way that you can find just by deciding to find the way that you're exactly the sort of person to do it. You know, that you will make a way because doggone it, you're powerful. You're powerful. Uh, we're doing this sermon series uh, called, What Does Faith Get You? And, and it's, what does faith get you when? What does faith get you when? Fill in the blank. And the idea is for us to know what a healthy faith response is to various life situations that we might find ourselves in. What does faith get you when you're poor? What does faith get you when you're wealthy? What does faith get you when, um, when you're lonely? Or what does faith get you when you're overwhelmed with too many people uh, in, in life? What does faith get you when you're lost? What does faith get you when you have too many opportunities to sort through? Uh, what does faith get you when you're strong, when you're weak, when you're angry, or when you're content? What's the proper faith response uh, to those sorts of life situations? And the occasion for doing this series is that in the normal course of life in this world these days, uh, I don't think we're being given models of healthy response to anything. Uh, we're being faced with all of these unprecedented and often challenging uh, situations, and I don't think the responses that at least culture is suggesting to us are, are healthy responses at all. So let's just do a meditative sermon series where we go through a variety of life situations and ask ourselves, well, what would faith get us in that situation? What would be the proper response to that sort of, of situation? And today I want to talk about what faith gets us when we feel disempowered in life. Disempowered. Powerlessness. Um, what do I mean when I say, you know, we feel disem disempowered? Uh, disempowered is when you feel like there's nothing that you can do about it. Like whatever the situation is, there's nothing that you can do about it because you're powerless. You are disempowered. It's a, it's a little bit different than what you might call hopelessness because you can feel personally powerless, but hope 
that some powerful person comes in and rescues you or changes the situation for you, you know? So I'm not quite talking about hopelessness. We're talking about personal powerlessness. When you feel that there's nothing that you can do about it. And what it's going to mean practically, if you feel powerless or if you feel disempowered, you, will, you are going to feel dominated by circumstances. Whatever those circumstances are, you're going to feel dominated by them. I use that word dominated intentionally. Um, <clears throat> you can feel challenged by your circumstances, but that's not powerlessness, right? You can feel hard pressed by your circumstances, but that's not powerless. Powerlessness, that's just, you know, something that you have to work on, right? Something that you have to overcome. And if you feel like you're a powerful person, those overcoming moments are okay for you, right? Because you'll do what a healthy faith person does. You shall overcome, you know? He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. We are more than overcomers in Christ Jesus. I mean, there are lots of verses about this. If you have a good faith response, you shall overcome in some fashion, in some fashion. There are some circumstances that perhaps you can't change in the moment, but you'll get around them, right? In some way in life, you'll always co overcome if you're a powerful person. Um, so that's, that's what I'm talking about. When you feel dominated by circumstances, the circumstances define you, right? They really stop you. And you get that feeling, right? You get that feeling. It feels a little bit like hopelessness. It feels a little bit like just being small. It'll start to feel like upset. It will feel like frustration, and maybe it will have a tinge of mourning. You know what powerlessness feels like, right? You say amen. amen. You all work with me. You know what it is to feel powerless and hopeless. All right, enough said. Faith, what does faith get you? Faith reminds you that it is your right and your responsibility to be powerful in this world. That's what faith gets you. You uh, have a right and a responsibility to be powerful in this world. One, because you are a human being, which is an extraordinary thing to be, according to scripture and all that we know. Uh, and you're as human as the next person. And, and that is a powerful thing to be. Humans are powerful. Secondly, um, you have the right and responsibility to be powerful in this world because you are a follower of Jesus. At least, you know, you should be. And followers of Jesus are truly extraordinarily powerful creatures. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. I would say that power uh, is at the core of the story of God and humans as it has come down to us. You think about all of the the primary stories of the Old Testament, even the very beginning ones, like we read about in, in the book of Genesis. We're in a, right at the beginning. The first thing we learn about human beings, and Adam is, is, uh, is uh, formed in the, in the garden, is he is set over nature, right? He becomes the definer. He gets to name the animals. And when Eve comes along, then the two of them together get to preside over the garden and tend it and shape it. Uh, the the uh, original lie, uh, you know, the deceiver's lie about the knowledge of the tree of good and evil when the deceiver fools Eve into eating of that fruit. It's a lie about power. He says, ah, oh, God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because he doesn't want you to be powerful like he is, right? It was an appeal to the sense of power. Uh, in, in Adam and Eve. Uh, the first murderer, Cain. Cain kills his brother Abel. It's a very nasty scene, very famous story. Cain gets kicked out of the Garden of Eden, uh, a very messed up guy. But what he does next is he moves east of Eden and he builds cities, we're told. He becomes an extraordinary innovator and architect and an establisher of civilization. He's an extraordinarily powerful man, as it turns out. We get the story of another sinful innovator, Lamech, in scripture. He's, he invents some sexual sin and he sires a few children, Jabal, Jubal, and Tubal-Cain. 
and they, in succession, invent uh, animal husbandry and music. Jubal is the father of music, and Tubal Cain is the inventor of metallurgy, metalworking. It's an extraordinarily powerful people, and this is what the Bible sees fit to record about those people that they were inventive, they were powerful, they changed the face of the earth. This is what the Bible wants us to know about the legacy of human beings in the early stories. You go a long ways into scripture before you read anything about love. A long, long ways in the story of Genesis. All of the early stories are about power. The Bible shouts to you from the very beginning. Humans are powerful things. This is what you must know about yourself. You know, and with great power comes great responsibility. I'm not sure that comes from the Bible, but it should. It says that essentially. And then we see God instilling his power in people in special ways. You know, he instills his power in Moses. Moses does extraordinary miracles. He raises up a people of slavery, a nation of slaves, into power and establishes a great tradition uh, through them. Uh, we read, uh, well, Genesis 11, to go back and read, we read the story of the Tower of Babel, where all the humans got together and they built this tower and it had some special nature to it. It was extraordinary in, in some way. And, and God says, uh, we've got to do something or else nothing will be impossible for these people. Nothing will be impossible for humans. And God had to intervene and confuse them with different languages and stuff because while the people were very powerful, they were not yet very good, right? And so that was a problem. But you can imagine God himself looking on his creatures and saying, man, in a minute, nothing will be impossible for these people. It's just an extraordinary thing to say. Skipping way ahead to the New Testament, we see Jesus instilling the power of God in all sorts of people. And Jesus really specialized in empowering people who were seemingly weak, right? Uneducated fishermen and, and, and foreigners and, you know, and oppressed peoples. And he gave them a true miracle working power eventually left us the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God indwelling in us. You know, as Paul would say later, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. Um, uh, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I mean, go on and on, right? There are a hundred verses about this. Um, 1 Corinthians 4.10, one of my life verses says, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Uh, which is the best way to teach someone about the kingdom of God is to demonstrate power. To do some sort of miracle or some sort of extraordinary, creative, constructive endeavor. That's the signature of the kingdom of God, according to, uh, according to scripture. So, if you are not an oddly powerful person, then you're not really walking in the kingdom of God. You've, you've missed the boat somewhere. You know. Somehow it slipped past you. You are supposed to be an oddly powerful person. What could rob you of that power? What could rob you of the power that Jesus makes so freely available to you? That just being a human being inscribes in you. What could rob you of that power? And I think the basic answer is a feeling of powerlessness. You are not powerless. However, there are ways in which you could feel powerless. And when you feel powerless, it tends to disempower you, right? It tends to, to take your teeth, uh, if you know that, that phrase. And you start to behave in weakness. You start to ascribe weakness to yourself and you just stop doing powerful things. What could make you powerless? Well, psyching yourself into believing that you're not powerful. That's usually the path um, that 
through which it through which it happens. And why do you psych yourself into believing that you're not powerful? Well, things convince you. You know, things pounded into your head and into your heart, right? Tough circumstances, repeating, convince you that, well, you must not be that powerful. Uh, certain relationships that make you feel hopeless or stuck can certainly make you feel uh, powerless. Uh, you know, mindsets that you get into, sometimes legalistic mindsets or accusatory mindsets uh, in, in religion or culture that are always telling you that you're doing something wrong or that you have to be careful about doing something wrong or that you've done something wrong and ought to feel really shameful about it. Those are all things that psych you into believing that you're powerless uh, in life. All sorts of cultural lies designed to make people feel small or certain classes of people feel small. Shame, uh, as I mentioned, is one that often makes us feel small and weak. Whatever. I mean, there are a zillion things that could psych you into believing that you're powerless. Um, I just want you to know that Satan will use absolutely everything and anything to make you feel powerless. This might be overstating it a bit, but that might be his number one goal. His number one goal might be to make human beings feel powerless. Because that leads you into all sorts of nasty places. It makes you not do powerful things, which helps his cause a lot. Um, it also makes you, when you feel powerless, it also makes you grab for what scraps of power you can because you feel desperate and so you grab for power. You know, maybe it's a fat checkbook or maybe it's a, a certain sort of acceptance of a certain sort of people or you grab for status. That's the behavior of someone who feels fundamentally powerless and is grabbing for scraps of power where they can and that sort of person is exactly the sort of person who will abuse power, do anything to keep it. In other words, that creates all sorts of destruction as well. Satan will tell you that for you, power is impossible or power is improper or power is dangerous or whatever. Shame will often make you feel unloved in life but it is chiefly a way to make you feel powerless uh, in life. <clears throat> Whatever faces you, you are powerful enough to do something important and influential about it. Even if you can't change everything fundamentally the way uh, that you would desire, you're powerful enough to figure out something and to move forward and to do good and to shape the world. That's who you are. That's who God made you. That's what Jesus calls you to be. Amen so far? Amen. Everybody with me so far? I mean, that, there's just nothing more biblical than that. Nothing more biblical than power in you. So what are some tips? What about faith getting you, you know, into a, a powerful place? What are, what are some tips that I would share? Well, one, uh, don't believe in powerlessness. Just don't believe in it. It's a generic statement, but I feel like it's an important statement to make. Don't believe in powerlessness. No, don't believe that you are powerless. Uh, number two, don't let others believe in powerlessness. Don't let anyone else believe that they are powerless or hopeless or any of the cousins of powerlessness. That's a lie. Uh, a lie that's really prevalent in our culture right now. Oh, here's some words to live by. Progress comes to people only once they realize they're not powerless. Slightly different version of the statement. Healing comes to people once they realize they're not powerless. Healing comes to people once they realize they're not powerless. Again, there's a difference between being hard-pressed and being powerless. Like, 
we're all hard pressed in different ways, a lot of us anyway. But we're not powerless. And knowing that leads to progress and healing for us. I hate the theme that we're seeing right now in our culture that, that tells people that they are powerless. I hate it. I hate it. People are hard-pressed. There are certain people that are more hard-pressed than others. There are certain groups of people that are more hard-pressed than others. But those groups especially need to know that they're not powerless. Those groups especially need to know the promise of power that God has for them. And you can't tell them that they're hopeless. You can't tell them that they're powerless. You can't tell them that the world is against them, that the system is against them. You can't tell that lie. You can't tell anyone that they're powerless. That is deeply wicked. That is deeply wicked. That is entirely satanic. And what we carry into the world as Christians is a gospel of power. We are told that the kingdom consists mainly in power, that there is a promise of power in every human no matter what, and that's the message that is more vital than the others. And I'll get off my soapbox now, but I'm really upset about this because there's just a pandemic going on right now, and it is a pandemic of powerlessness. And it's killing way more people than the virus. Um, and it runs counter to the, the gospel. You know, we, we need to show compassion to people who, who are weakened or in a weak position. But one of the ways we do that is by sharing with them and imparting to them power, reminding them of the power that the Lord has put in them. Here's a story. I'll end with this from John chapter 5. Progress and healing comes to people once they realize they're not powerless. One of many healing stories that are like this, you know, it, it was Jesus' favorite way to go about healing people who had been weakened with whatever infirmity. And this is from John chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 through 10. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, a little artificial pool, uh, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, like columns and the roof. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. We don't know exactly what the sickness was, but whatever the sickness was, it had weakened this guy for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? This is an extraordinary and provocative question to a guy who had been lying in a lump next to a pool uh, for a uh, for 38 years. <clears throat> Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So at this pool, the legend was that from time to time, an angel would visit it and stir the water. And then if you hopped into the pool first, while the water was still stirred up, you would get healed from whatever ailed you. And this guy was too weak, evidently, to get to the pool when the water would stir. And so he's making that explanation and that complaint. I have no one to help me. Got no one to help me. You know, I'm next to this pool of healing, uh, but I have no one to help me into it uh, when the moment comes. Uh, so I'm stuck. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else cuts ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Just gives him a straight out command to move forward. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath day. 
And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat around. (laughs) So no sooner has he been healed than the accusatory, judgmental religious culture comes against him and tries to make him feel shameful about it. You see immediately powerlessness presses back in. And I'll just cut the story there. But how many times when Jesus heals people do you see him do it through a command of progress? Stand up, pick up your mat, walk. Oh, you with the withered arm, stretch out your hand, just do it. And then as you do what Jesus calls you to do, you find that in fact you're powerful enough to do it. It's sort of the core kingdom paradox. You see it all the time in the gospel, don't you? It was like Jesus' favorite way to heal people. It's as if he's saying, oh, this sickness has made you powerless for 38 years. Be powerful now. Okay. And boom, the guy is done. What happens there exactly? What happens there exactly? Well, you could explain it in different ways. But the faith transaction in that moment is that this poor invalid guy, he would have been broken for the better part of four decades, who had been mistreated by people evidently for the better part of four decades, who had obviously been depressed and developed a whole personal philosophy about stuckness, right? What faith gets him in that moment is the sense that he is powerful enough to do whatever this guy told him to do. His life changed forever. Uh, read the rest of the story sometime because this, this uh, healed guy faces down the religious authorities and just you know, has a great time uh, explaining what it's like uh, to live free uh, in the power and attention of Christ. Uh, healing comes to people in that faith moment when they realize they're not powerless. It's the gospel. Um, All right, I'll just end with this uh, tip from me to you. Speaking as someone who has had to wrestle a lot in life against the sense of powerlessness. Um, A way that I approach fighting it in faith that that I just want to share, you know, it doesn't necessarily leap from the pages of scripture, but we're just talking here. So let me describe something to you. Um, Back in the day, uh, when I was a young buck, I was in my late 20s, early uh, 30s, and and I just felt convicted about, you know, the power ministry inherent in the gospel. And I started doing public healing services uh, wherever I could, just inviting sick people to show up and I told them that I would heal them in Jesus' name, which is an incredibly confident thing to do, you know. Uh, and during this period, I was, as I shared last week, a severely depressed person. So I just want you to know that. But it was kind of my way of saying, no, life with Jesus is powerful. I will perform miracles in Jesus' name. The kingdom will move forward, even though I feel like junk. Uh, So I just started doing these healing services, and that became power ministry conferences, and I started traveling around a little bit. I was no one, but people would invite me to church conferences and say, do that thing where people get healed or, you know, uh, people get filled with the Spirit. And I was doing this a little bit, but feeling kind of junk about my life circumstances generally. And so I would have these moments, usually before I went on to minister at these services or in these conferences, in which I would struggle emotionally in a way that you could probably predict, right? Because I kind of felt like junk and I was about to step in front of a whole bunch of people and and be a miracle worker in Jesus' name. It was very incongruent. And and what I did is I thought back to my my little league and my high school baseball career uh, where you step to the plate to hit the ball and you see the pitch coming and you would take a swing, the worst thing that you can do is to take half a swing. Because with half a swing, you weren't going to get a hit, <laughs> no matter what, and you might get a strike. Right? If you were going to swing at the ball, you had to swing all the way through. Otherwise, you were defeated before you even made the attempt. Right? So I told myself, like, well, I'm about to step to the plate. I'm just going to take a big swing. And I'm going to pretend that... Um, 
I'm the guy to do this job until the job is over. <laughs> that's, that's how I would talk to myself. And that's how I move forward. Uh, I had a place in my brain where I could just sort of, I could sort of click into it and be like, well, this is, this is go time, right? This is the time where I act powerful, even if I don't feel powerful. Are you following me? I don't feel like I express that very well, but that's what power ministry taught me as a person. A little after that, my academic career had fizzled and I was working for a software company and I'd become uh, the, the business development person. Basically, my job was to sell uh, software, database, database-backed websites to people, which was a job that I didn't like uh, in a technical world in which I didn't have any experience or a great deal of knowledge. So I was making a lot of stuff up as I went in order to preserve this software startup that I was part of. And I had to create proposals about products, software products, and then sell them to businessmen who, who knew more than I did, essentially. And I felt very intimidated by the prospect. Um, but this was the situation that I found myself in life. And what I thought about in that moment was power ministry. I thought about, you know, when it's go time, there's a place in your brain that you click into where you act powerful. And it worked. And my process worked, and we sold a lot of software, and the company grew, um, at least until something else went wrong. <clears throat> I tell both of those stories together because I feel that for me personally, the latter story is probably more important than the former story. Um, that it was more difficult for me to take this idea of clicking into the power of God into my normal workaday life than it was for me to click into the power of God in my miracle working ministry life. Does that make sense? It was harder for me to be an empowered Christian in normal life than in sort of the church world. And so I learned something by clicking into miracle working power in the software industry. You know, there is a, there's something that you can click into. I've got all these compartments in my head. One of them is filled with grief. One of them is a big room filled with things I haven't figured out yet. Maybe you have a room like that in your brain. But there's also a room in my brain that's just filled with power. I know this analogy isn't very elegant, but maybe it's helpful. And that room is there for me all the time. And there are some times where that's, that's the place I need to plug into. That's the place where I need to go. But it's there, and it's a legitimate place. And that's what faith gets me, no matter what else is going on. You following? Have that room in your head. You know, it doesn't mean that there's nothing negative going on. It doesn't mean that you're hard-pressed. But it means that you're powerful, you know? It's the place of progress. It's the place of healing. It's the place that you have to cultivate. Don't, don't board it up. Don't let Satan convince you that it does not exist because the kingdom of God does not consist in talk. It does not consist in discussion. It does not consist in knowledge. It does not consist in, in, in debate and introspection or any of that. The kingdom of God consists primarily in power. Use it for progress and healing. Use it to love people. It is written, Lord, that your strength is made perfect in our weakness, that it, your strength is made complete when we're weak, uh, when we've got uh, not much else to rely on, but this incredible godly power that you have made available to us from the very beginning of our race. Magnified in us through the ministry of Jesus. 
activated in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's all there, Lord. It's all there. It's all there. It doesn't make life perfect, but it will always make life progressive. I just pray for those people out there who feel stuck by whatever circumstance. And I especially pray for those people who have swallowed the lie of powerlessness in whatever form. I pray that we would be a powerful and good people and that through power we would experience your goodness uh, in our life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Blue Water. I hope that you had a great week this week and that you learned a lot from today's message with Jordan. For me, it's always great to have a refresher on what to do with feelings of disempowerment because I feel like that is a constant tactic of the enemy in my own life. Um, but so if you're still feeling a little bit disempowered, unlike my cat who just ran past us in the garden, um, you can submit a, a prayer request to the prayer team. So we're doing something a little bit different. Rather than having the prayer line, we have now um, a link that you can go to, which is bluewatermission.org slash pray, and you can submit your prayer request to our prayer team. You can also submit that you would like to meet with somebody or pray with somebody on the prayer team and you guys can set up an appointment that way. So it's just a great way to connect with people who are ready to pray for you in whatever is going on in your life. It doesn't have to just to be about this week's sermon, but it can be about anything. So if you're feeling like that would be helpful to you, I encourage you to go ahead and sign up and try that. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great Sunday. Thanks for sticking around.